0: And we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call Shift Your Mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Dr. Michelle Seeger is an award-winning lifestyle coach and sustainable behavioral change researcher at the University of Michigan. For nearly three decades, she has pioneered methods to create sustainable, healthy behavior change that are being used to boost patient health, employee well-being, and gym membership retention. She's an advisor to leading global organizations and frequently interviewed in major media outlets like the New York Times, NPR, and the Wall Street Journal. Dr. Seeger is going to talk about Me a lot in this conversation. So, I bring my own behavioral challenges when it comes to exercise and diet into this conversation. And if you're anything like me, you're probably working to try to improve your eating habits and your exercise habits. I know for me, it's been a bugaboo for as long as I can remember. And so, this conversation is somewhat self serving. I definitely picked her brain when it comes to how do I create behavior that lasts, behavior that I enjoy, how do I balance the desire to eat well and to exercise with some of the other decisions I want to make on a regular basis. And all along the way, she is gracious, she is not judgmental, and she talks about joy, which is something that I really, really believe in and that I care about. So hopefully you're going to learn a lot in this conversation that applies to yourself as you think about what health looks like for you. And really at her core, she believes that each of us has to reflect, has to think, and has to intentionally choose to live a joyous life and also to make joyful decisions when it comes to our health. So here is Michelle Seeger. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really excited to chat with you. We're going to definitely talk about joy. We're going to talk about exercise. We're going to talk about selflessness. There's going to be plenty to unpack in our conversation today. But I asked you, hey, what do you want to talk about? And you said Spain. And you didn't know this about me, but I went abroad to Madrid, Spain, when I was in college for four months. And so my broken Spanish is still broken, but- (laughs) Um, I went back there a few years ago with my wife and and tried to find the house that I stayed at and had to call my roommate because he has a way better memory than I do. And he Google dropped me some directions to find the house. Um, But Spain has a special place in my heart. But why Spain? Why did you say that that's something you love talking about?
1: Well, it has a special place in my heart. I've lived there four times. The first time was in 1987 when I did junior year abroad in Madrid, too. Um, I... Fell in love with Spain and Spain changed my life. Um, And in fact, you know, you said you want to talk about joy. Well, that's where I would say the seed for deep joy in my life and my person started. The first semester abroad when I lived there, you know, the people appreciate life, they appreciate good food. You know, it's just a different. It was, you know, and of course things have changed since the eighties, but it was such a laid back, joyful life, you know, day life, living people and culture that I just, it changed my life. And I wanted, the first thing I wanted to do when I graduated from college was just move back there and live. And that's what I did.
0: So we're going to come back to that, but about 20 years later, so we'll show our age differences, I guess. Um, I was in Madrid and I stayed with a family and we had a senora is what we called her. And so me and my college roommate were in the basement of her townhouse. And that's where we lived. And she smoked cigarettes like every day. (laughs) And so I remember we were having a conversation with her in her living room. And this was right after a tsunami had hit. Um, And she said, she was explaining in Spanish the word tsunami, which was not translated into me and my my buddy, but she was basically saying like a tsunami could hit, I could get hit by a car, all these things could happen. Cause we were like, why does everyone here smoke? Like yeah. it's bad for you. Yeah. And her way of of explaining that to us was like, I could die tomorrow, I'm gonna enjoy my life and I'm gonna live for the present. And so as you're talking about that, I think 20 years later, they still have that, that culture. What's some of the downside to thinking like that? Because, I mean, I don't smoke cigarettes. Right. I, th- I think most of us would agree that's probably not ideal for us from a health standpoint. Can you talk about maybe... The upside of being highly present and living life to the fullest, but also maybe some downsides of taking that approach.
1: Oh, well, what a great I love how you brought kind of public health into that, which, of course, wasn't on my mind at all when I made that comment. But it's relevant. It's relevant to the conversation and how people make choices. I mean, here's the upside when you live in a culture that believes you should live life. And I'm not talking about smoking. So let's just take that piece out right now. You know, you want to eat good food. You want to be with people, you know, when I back then, you know, everything closed for two hours, whether people took the actual siesta nap or not, it was the the notion that we needed to take care of ourselves and we needed to renew ourselves was just deeply embedded in the culture. And but the other thing about eating is back then, you know, people ate really well. And I am a big believer in promoting moderation. Now, not everyone can do moderation, but what happens is when you're in a culture where food is valued and you're allowed to eat it, there isn't a need to rebel and overeat because um, it's part of the culture and how you take care of yourself and how you enjoy life. There's, um, and again, once you start talking about um, adding tons of McDonald's and unhealthy foods and then saying, oh, you can't have that. I mean, we know from decades of research and, you know, certainly the health coaching I've been doing, when you tell people they can't eat something, all they want to do is eat it. It's so the, that's one of the beauties of being in a culture that says, wait a sec, uh, you know, European culture, we value eating good food and we value feeling good. And it's not about scarfing it's about appreciating and that's a very different mentality. Now, you know, there was a lot of smoking, you know, and for sure that smoking potentially uh, is part of that culture of, you know, I'm going to live in the moment. Um, So, you know, I think there's also a cultural level um, practice that we can also maybe Dissemble, you know take apart from the whole idea that life is to be lived you know if people smoke if the people in your culture and your family smoke and your friends smoke you smoke I mean that's there's a part of you know you do your network analysis thing um I think I mean the art of living is knowing when, how to appreciate living in the moment, but also having a respect that your choices are going to have long-term implications too. And I, you know, I've never thought about that before, but I think that's the art of living.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go deeply personal for me. I have never been like obese, so to speak. I don't know what the, you know, science would say around what is obesity and what is not obesity, but I've never felt obese, but in my adult life, I've always felt like, Oh, I'm probably 10 to 15 pounds heavier than I should be. And that's me. And I know weight for some people is not a a good classification of how healthy they are. But for me, at least I can know like, Hey, those 10 to 15 pounds are, are, are where I sort of stay in that, in that scale. And I've often thought about autonomy because autonomy is something that I crave in my world. I work for myself. I make my own schedule. I think I was always going to struggle if I went to work for someone else because I saw that out of college. When I did that, I I sort of bumped up against some bureaucracy and I had some challenges there. So anytime I've gotten coached when it comes to my eating habits, I find that I've created this relationship with autonomy as it relates to my eating. And so I say to myself, no, I want to be able to eat whatever the hell I want. But then a couple hours later, I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't eaten that. And my wife can back me up on this. It happens way too much for me. And so I've tried to change what is autonomy as it relates to my, my eating habits because the truth is I saw a nutritionist and when we started breaking down, I love vegetables. And I actually, during the week, will often eat vegan and love consuming like healthy vegetables. But for some reason, as a child, or not even a child into adulthood. And especially as a man, it was like, no, you're not a man unless you eat meat and you eat potatoes and you eat all of it. And I've worked and I continue to be a work in progress on this to change the narrative and the story in my head, because I actually enjoy eating healthy food a lot, but, but for whatever reason there was a story in my head that what is healthier, what a being a man is, is involving eating, unhealthy food. And so I want to get your thoughts on that.
1: Absolutely. Wow. Well, I love that you brought the cultural norms and messages in because all of my work addresses um, changes in behavior from a cultural context, because those messages, whether, you know, you're getting the masculinity messages about what guys, should, you know, true men eat women, get other messages about what they have to eat to do to be female and attractive and all that stuff. So or
0: naughty or the- naughty.
1: Or not eat. And um, the reality is those things, we've internalized those messages. And like you said, I mean, you said, these things have been affecting me. They affect us without even being aware of it. So I want to just say yay for you for understanding that. The other part of it is when you start to bring your choices to about how they make you feel, that's, that's what the emerging research shows is actually deeply compelling. That when we notice how our choices make us feel in the moment um, and how it ties to, um, not just how we feel kind of physically and psychologically from our choices, whether it's, boy, I hated the way that exercise that exercise made me feel. I'm gonna avoid that at all costs, or darn it, don't tell me I can't eat the cookie. And then you eat the whole box because you're in this rebellion state. Um, the other part is how does it influence is it aligning with who you are as a person and what you care about? But the two most compelling emerging scientific bodies on how do we create sustainable changes has to do with making our healthy choices align with helping people learn to make their choices align with feeling their best and um, being who they are. I'm a person like you're a person who likes vegetables. Like it's not about not being a man, right? So what you're talking about now, I want to just say something else that in the joy choice in my new book, I have a story where a client talks about having this, you know, wanting to change his relationship with food. And at some point um, the decision was made that uh, he could eat whatever he wanted. As long as he touched in with his body, he checked in Mm -hmm. and said, do I actually feel like this? Am I actually hungry? Which again, when you're on a should, should, should not eat plan, there's no checking in with your body. It's all about either succumbing to temptation, rebelling against the food saying, screw you to the diet, you know, all of that. And, um, the, the surprising thing he found when he went in, he was a, it was an experiment, was that one day someone offered chocolate and um, he, taught, he checked in with himself and he was like, oh, oh my gosh. I don't actually, I don't remember if it was chocolate or pizza. It's one of those two things. And he was like, I don't feel like eating it. And he could not wrap his head around talk about an autonomous decision so we know the research is showing that when people learn to check in with their bodies nothing is ever true for everyone so there might be people who need to be on more control or who have health related medical issues that this won't work for and i always like to have that caveat but if we're talking about the majority of the population as opposed to outliers who might have more addiction related issues or medical issues I think the more we help people learn to notice how they feel from their food choices and get when they can escape those rebellion-like shoulds that are embedded in their belief system, more people will find a more natural way, but they'll also stop, they'll start eating things that are better for them.
0: There's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to try to unpack some of it with you one is like, what do we want our relationship to be with food? And to your point, like, yeah, I, lo- I love veggies. I also love steak. Like yeah. I, I do. So like, I don't want to be a vegan. That's my choice. Yeah. Someone else might choose to yes, be a vegan. That's right. And so for me, it's like, okay, if I don't want to be a vegan and I want to go enjoy a steak and a glass of red wine or yeah. two glasses of red wine, as long as I'm choosing to do that and understanding the consequences that come with it, like that needs to be intentional on my end to choose to step into that and 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 know how to feel that. You 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 had a response to that.
1: Well, why not? Can I meet you for a steak and red wine? I mean, see this, this is where this is where the oh, oh here's the deal. There is a dogmatism. There is a dogmatism when it comes to eating and exercise that has infiltrated, not just the culture, but people's brains. And it's dogmatism about these things. Again, there's always going to be people who have to follow a certain eating plan if they're going to avoid some diseases that they're genetically inclined for. So we're not talking about those outliers. We're talking about just regular living. And I think like the fact that you even need to talk about going out and having a steak and and red wine like it's something that i mean this gets back to the spanish way of living yeah just like, do it
0: if you want to do it if if, if you now, want, are you yeah. gonna
1: do it every day well that's that may be problematic And when you go out, do you, you know, if you're, are you going out for your birthday? Uh, you know, in Chicago, there's a restaurant, I forgot what it is, but my dad went and like got on their wall a 48 ounce steak or something that you had to eat at uh, something huge. And <laughs> my, you know, my dad was proud that he did that once a year, once every five years, once a lifetime we, we, but yeah, we think going out and having a steak. And so think about this. If you're like, yeah, it's a special occasion. I'm going to go out or it's like a date night and I'm going to have a steak and a glass of wine and, and vegetables. Like maybe you don't need to get the giant steak, but if you're doing it every once in a while, it's not a big deal, but we've been trained, we've been brainwashed to think that it's a big deal.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because I love the word joy and we're going to talk more about joy, but you can't hack your way through life. If we've learned anything over the last two and a half years, it's like, you can prepare all you want and you're probably going to get COVID and you're, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of getting that. And you know, if you have people that have gotten cancer in your life or had other bad things happen. And so for me, it's always like, how do I make choices that I intentionally want to do, including going out and eating it's funny you were talking about your dad because i also know for whatever reason i was just somewhere where they had a buffet and there were cheese steaks on the buffet and they were very good yeah and like i had one and then i'm like i'm gonna have another half and you know i was at a very celebratory type of yeah. situation i was comfortable doing that and i looked at the people i was around and i was like They're like, Oh, I'm, I'm full. Like I could not eat another one. And I looked at them and I go, see, this is my part of my issue. I could go eat another, like two of those. And they were like, no way. And I go, I'm telling you, I I could, I, I I could still eat. And my wife and I have these conversations all the time because she gets full and she stops eating and she's very disciplined in the way she eats. Um, in that when she feels full, she stops, but you said something earlier, as I was trying to unpack it, the mindfulness to know, Hey, what does my body that's feel?
1: Right. And that's- for
0: me, I didn't develop that skill when I was younger. And so I never developed the ability to stop, pause, wait, how do I actually feel yes. right now? Instead, I created this notion that autonomy is just grabbing the next one, that's right. and eating it and not stopping to even check in with myself. I think men in particular, cause that's who I can speak yes. on it. Yeah. You, you talk a lot about logic and emotion. And I think we often just, at least for me, I, I eat emotionally rather than tapping in to logically. And so I need to create a relationship with my emotions and being able to slow down a little bit um, and be mindful of, all right, how do I feel? And I think men in particular, aren't always great at checking in with themselves emotionally.
1: I, I and with, and, phys- and physically too. I mean, I think, I think, as a society, we've been taught we should ignore our body's signals when it comes to eating and exercise. Um, but men especially aren't allowed to have, you know, feelings that's like you said, um, you know, um, do you know Judson Brewer's work on eating? I mean, his stuff with craving is all about helping people develop mindfulness. And of course that's what I was doing with my client too. Um, but it's it's ironic because judson brewer's early work was related to addiction and you know he brought a mindfulness model for example into his smoking cessation research and he found and this is very counterintuitive that when you help people feel their cravings that they actually are more successful quitting long term and his new work with newer work with eating shows that when you help people feel their eating cravings I think the I think in a study he found the, a reduction of forty percent in craving related, related eating um, or cravings for eating. I don't know what the exact outcome was. So, it's where it's at. I mean, it, you know, we can people can hear the word mindfulness and think, you know, oh, that sounds so foofy or soft science. But but you know, the reality is is that the science is showing. And I know with my own coaching um, on the flip side of eating, when I help people become more aware of why the physical activities, why they don't like exercise and how to actually learn to love exercise and relate to it as a gift you can give yourself. That is from becoming both changing your why or your reason for exercising and also then picking physical activities that are, are pleasurable, if not palatable. And so those two things combined help people transform but you can't transform your experience with eating or exercise or anything if you don't have new experiences that also embed new meanings for you.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot about mindfulness separate from meditation. I think sometimes we blend them together. For me, at least the way I've made sense of it is meditation is the practice of mindfulness. So I can meditate and there's lots of different ways to meditate. Um, And you're practicing being mindful. That's right. What I've found to be helpful for me, I've had meditation practices in the past, but what I've gone to more now is just really just practicing noticing and observing. And simply when I'm outside, like notice the clouds when I'm with my kids, observe my kids. When I'm with people, let's just really notice and observe not just what's going on with them, but what's going on with me. And I think that's what you're hitting on is can you observe and notice? How do you feel? What do you enjoy? What don't you like? I liked how you even said palatable. What is a palatable exercise for you that? you can do and observe yourself that you're not wondering when the hell is this thing going to be over and i think for all of us if we can embed mindfulness in different ways into our world especially into our exercise and eating habits it could be useful and helpful for us
1: absolutely but i but i think what's really important for people to understand is when the socialization dogmas are our, our unconscious belief system it prevents us from really um, embracing a mindfulness approach or it impedes it. Because if we're saying we should be mindful with our bodies and our mind is saying, I can't eat that, I can't eat that, I can't eat that, that's really distracting.
0: And then can you talk about environment? Because the, the research on environment and habits and you know, epige- epigenetics or whatever, whatever you want to call it the ability that, you know, when our DNA meets an environment and, and how an environment shapes our decision-making, um, what have you found as far as environments impact on motivation and, and how our environment can impact, uh, our actions and behavior?
1: So, um, our motivation and decisions are greatly impacted by, you know, the people around us, by the choices around us, you know if you're in an environment for example if someone is working for an employer and the employer is really using a lot of sticks to get their employees to exercise or lose weight or whatever you know i would i would bet a lot of money that those employees are going to have a um Very controlled, non optimal type of motivation, feel very resentful, you know, want to rebel versus an employer that is focused on helping their employees feel their best and support them in the challenges that they have to face and offers them opportunities to, you know, join a gym to get stress out or whatever it is. But those types of cultures and environments absolutely influence how people feel about the actions that are being offered to them.
0: Is, is diet and exercise, are they linked from a motivation standpoint? Or do you find that people, there are some people, I have a client who said I am very disciplined when it comes to exercise. And as a result, I can eat whatever I want. And I think he is very healthy um, in a lot of ways, Um, But he said to me recently, he's like, you know, I think I need to get, develop a better relationship with my diet, but exercise wise, I mean, he is, he is doing very fit things when it comes to exercise. Do you find that they go hand in hand or is there a different level of motivation that goes into exercise than goes to eating habits?
1: Well, there's two answers to your question. And the first answer is that People absolutely can have very divergent relationships and approaches to eating and exercise. But the second answer, which I think potentially is more fundamental, is that eating and exercise, while they're very unique behaviors and completely different from each other on their own, they are inextricably wrapped together as the quote unquote formula for losing weight. And because losing weight in our culture is wrapped up in, in shame and weightism and discrimination and really in years and decades of failures and self-sabotage, it, it like is like, I want to call it a, a, a magical cloak around it, but it's like an evil cloak around eating and exercise that poisons it for people. And that's part of the problem. Um, when you can, when eating an exercise aim, for weight loss, um, unless people are very clear about why they're trying to lose weight, and it's it's about something they that is deeply personally meaningful to them, um, deeply compelling to their identity and what they care about on their day, how they live their lives, it weight loss poisons people's motivation and it it keeps shooting people in the foot. So. Yes, they're different behaviors. Yes, people can have different relationships with each of those. Um, But it's important to say that the fit people, the people who quote unquote have succeeded in meeting the cultural body ideals and fitness standards that we're taught we should all be meeting, when they succeed, they may not have the contaminated motivation toward eating and exercise that the people who've quote unquote failed and have been trying again and again and again to, to succeed, but, you know, for for not. And that means that, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I don't meet the standards. I'm not athletic enough. I'm a pig, whatever people say to themselves. And this completely gets in the way of people taking care of themselves in ways that they could. Because like, like you said, you actually like vegetables, but you were shunning them because they had a meaning for you, you know? It's very... And if in in it, and it's naive to believe that that the population can learn to exercise more and eat in healthier ways if we don't address the cloak, the negative cloak related to weight loss that's been wrapped around healthy eating and exercise.
0: It's interesting as I hear you talk, I'm even thinking about what I said earlier. I'm like, yeah, I think I've always been like ten to fifteen pounds, you know heavier than than I should be. And there's a lot of shoulds in that's in this right. conversation. For you, when you think of health for yourself, yes. what comes to mind?
1: So, well, gosh, so many things. Um, first of all, the most important thing for me to feel my best is sleep, getting enough sleep, not five hours of sleep, but like nine hours of sleep. Like, you know, that's that's what I need personally. Now, my husband, I have this thing called the self-care hierarchy, um, and I can email it to you if you want, where we have these different high, uh, we have a hierarchy of self-care. And then we have this thing that is our, each of ours, our foundational self-care behavior. And for me, it's sleep for my husband it's exercise. He will get full, he will skimp on his sleep so he can exercise because that he feels terrible every day. If he doesn't exercise, I feel terrible if I don't get enough sleep. So sleep for me is paramount. Um,
0: Can you stop there for a second? Because I'm in the same boat. My wife needs to exercise. I need to sleep this morning. I was like waking up really groggy and I was like, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to exercise. I'm going to get more sleep and sort of made that decision yes. either consciously subconsciously. I don't yes. know what happened, but when you're talking about a hierarchy, does it typically start with like sleep and exercise or what are the other components of it? it did, for no.
1: I, well, I think sleep and exercise are common ones. You know, for some people it could be eating in a certain way. Like if people don't, if people eat certain foods and if, you know, whether they have, um, gluten issues. I mean, people have different needs, you know, when meditation,
0: I've had clients say, I need to meditate in the morning or journal or pray. I've heard that from people. too. So
1: people do have different hierarchies. Um, you know, I, I, and, and that's, it's self-awareness or mindfulness, whichever we want to, whatever term we want to use is just key for taking good care of ourselves. Um, especially in sustainable ways. I mean, I don't know if you know this about me, but you know, I've been studying how to create sustainable behavior change for almost 30 years. And that is the only thing I care about. So um, people need awareness. So getting back to your original question, um, I, daily movement is, a, is an important thing for me. You know, I have this ideal walk that's about 60 minutes. But during the last three months of the book launch, where I've had lots of interviews and I've been traveling a lot, speaking a lot, I'm in this acute phase. Now, this is where a lot of people get tripped up because I haven't been able to take my 60-minute walk on on many days. And instead, I, I do what's called the joy choice, which we can talk about later. It's the perfect and perfect option. So if I can't take my planned walk or my ideal walk, what can I do? that lets me do something instead of nothing. And, and um, you know, take a walk with my family after dinner. So, so what if on any given day, I don't get to take my walk? Well, so what if on any given week, I'm in this acute phase and I'm, I'm aware that this is acute. Now, if I chose to live this way, if I chose, you know, to do media interviews all day long, all the time, you know, that is a lifestyle choice that I wouldn't make because it would make me miserable. You know what I mean? Not that there's, Don't take that personally, mind you. It's just, it's a matter of the energy output and, you know, the time it takes away from the, the gestalt of self-care, if you will, you know.
0: No, I'm the same way. I think like, I don't interview people all day. I, I put one of these out a week. I coach, I write, i have a newsletter. I wrote a book. Um, and it's interesting for me, I I find joy in doing a lot of different things, yes. but I know other people that love to just say, Hey, give me that one thing that I can focus on. And they get overwhelmed or overloaded by the multitude of things back to the hierarchy real yes. quick. I want to be thoughtful with my words here because yes. I do think we often think that people that sleep in are lazy and we've, yes. we've been told yeah. that when it's yeah. kind of absurd, it is absurd. um. But but that's like a thing that's been thrown on us. And I remember talking to my older brother about this. He's he's a marathon runner, he's highly active. And I said, Oh man, I think I need to just work, you know, work out in the morning, wake up earlier. And he looked at me, he's like, Brian, ever since you were a kid, like mom and dad had to drag you out of bed. Like you were yeah. never an early riser. So to ask you to then do something you don't typically enjoy doing in the morning doesn't make any sense to me. Whereas he is up and he's ready that's to right. roll and then he'll go for a run as we think about that hierarchy, I, I, I do wonder like, when am I making excuses and when am I just saying, no, I need to sleep in. Right. Because like, just because I need my sleep doesn't mean that like laying in bed and tossing and turning for an hour when I'm actually awake and I could be exercising is what's best for me. And I'm talking about me personally, like everyone else, but there are times where maybe I use that, bed as a crutch to not go to do not go do the thing that actually is the healthy thing that I actually do want to do I just might not want to do it right then and there
1: well so let me unpack that because there's a few things um one is if on Saturday mornings you let yourself sleep in and, and stay in bed and I, you know, I know that's something I personally like to do. There's something very luxurious um, and, you know, it's something that my family knows I'm going to do and my friends know. I may not get out of bed on a Saturday until 11 o'clock because there's something, there's, there's a self-care in being able to do that and not having to get up and help my son get ready for school or taking him to school or, you know, get something done. Um you know, you, you said, how do you know if I'm, you know, respecting my need for sleep or, or creating an excuse. Or creating did excuse, an excuse yeah. So that the, the notion of excuse fits into what I'm calling the old story of behavior change, which is where we're supposed to be doing something in certain ways. And even the need for the word excuse shows that there's some should, under behind that and so the question is it goes back to what you were talking about at the very beginning if you want to be physically active on a certain day um and you're sleep you're laying in bed like which has more benefits for you the relax the deep relaxation you're getting and the joy of that but are you going to be active later in the day and you know, will you do that instead of maybe an extra hour of work? So it's always about trade-offs. You see, the new story of behavior change um, that I'm talking about is we want to be thinking in terms of what what are the trade-offs we need to make. Eating and exercise and sleep, absolutely, And but eating and exercise because they're in this dogmatic whole other um, stratosphere in our lives. Um, we don't think we are we come at it so dogmatically, but it, let's think about other areas of our lives. When, our, when we have a, a meetup with a friend that we planned two months ago, we had a plan, two hour drink downtown, whatever. And we have something unexpected come up, like, and we call our friends and we say, I'm so sorry. Or they call us, I'm so sorry. I can only meet for 30 minutes. Or I need to meet in two weeks instead of today. We don't dump them. They don't dump us. In these other areas of our lives, we've learned about the need for trade-offs and being flexible. But when it comes to our eating, exercise, and even sleep, we don't think about it in terms of trade-offs. So I guess what I would say to you is the idea that it's an excuse as opposed to, I would say to you, well, what do you what do you care about? What do you value? What do you want to do this Saturday? And is it different? Is, is this what you want to do on most Saturdays? Do you want to exercise on most Saturdays? Or is it a day off? or can you make physical activity a family activity? So it's really expanding the whole conversation.
0: One of the things that I found helpful in my life is, because I wouldn't say that discipline is a superpower for me when it comes to diet and exercise, Yeah. but people that know me would say, Brian, you put out a podcast every week, you put out a newsletter every week, you wrote a book, like those things happened with a certain level of discipline to get stuff done. Like I'm very good at getting stuff done, but like I'm more creative, autonomous, go toward what I feel. And, and I, I think I do live life. I don't think I try to hack life. I don't like, I'm not, I, I'm not attracted to that way of living. I actually think I'm pretty good. I enjoy that piece of myself.
1: Yeah.
0: And one of the things that I've tried to do is say, all right, I don't need to win every day, but how can I win the week? And so when I say when the week, I think about like, yeah, if I could exercise three times a week, That's right. that would be really healthy for me. If I could eat, like, I, I don't really crave, I, like I crave actually eating quote unquote healthy or like greens yeah. for lunch, uh, yeah. during the week work week. Cause I feel better, um, in the afternoon and I feel better than if I were to eat a burger and fries. I just, at this point in my life, don't, enjoy the way I feel after eating a burger and fries at lunch during the week on the weekend maybe I'll have a burger and fries um so like to me I've I've tried to change it instead of thinking about it from a daily standpoint thinking about it from a weekly standpoint to give myself more grace and more space to do the things that I want to do to be healthy including eating that steak and that glass of wine as part of my week because I'm doing that with friends and I'm enjoying my life and so I think about winning the week instead of a day
1: That's right. And the word grace, you, you know, you are living the new story of behavior change. That is what the joy choice is about. That's what I'm advocating people start thinking about giving ourselves more. I mean, we give ourselves grace in all these other areas. And that doesn't mean we're not disciplined like you professionally. I mean, when it comes to professional issues, there is a need to have discipline and to get things done. Otherwise you'll, you won't be viewed in the same way. Otherwise you may not have advertised. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. I won't have as much
0: fulfillment. You like, won't have I, as, I get as much fulfillment from doing that stuff.
1: So, you know, jobs are in a different category than something that we have absolute um, free choice over. But the grace piece is important. And I think that's one of the things that we've learned during COVID is that we need to give ourselves grace that we can't, that many of us don't have these perfect plans that can be fulfilled all the time. Um, I, and, and for those of us who aren't what I call habiters and my husband is a habiter and there's someone who's just very disciplined um, does what they say they're going to do. So organized in all areas of their life, not just in one. Um, we need a different model. I'm an unhabiter. I, I, I won't be successful if you tell me I have to follow this to a T and I have to do that in that way. You know, again, like so many things in life, whether it's our careers, whether it's sex, whether it's parenting, we have to figure out what we want to do and what we like. And so, exercise and, and following a a healthy eating or intentional eating plan is no different.
0: I am your target audience because, uh, I'm, I have habits, but I, I don't know if this is the right word, but I'm not a slave to them. Like I don't need to always do them. If I miss something, it's okay. I don't, I don't live my life that way. I live it with more freedom. I think, whereas my wife, I think it's very much a habiter, to use Uh your word, um, and so I, I think it's an interesting thing for us all to think about is what are the systems that do work for us? And why is it that I'm able to do that in my professional life? And how can I apply some of those things that work for me there and bring it to exercise and diet, which is, by the way, I have a trainer. He sees me twice a week. Uh, when it's nice out, we are outside and we're doing exercise and I feel fresh air and energy from doing that. He, I worked with a different trainer previously, and it didn't work. I worked with him for a year and I just stuck with it, stuck with it. He never was excited to see me. I was never excited to see him. I switched over to this guy, Brian, he's got a great name, but besides that, like the energy works and I I'm excited to see him. Uh, actually it's interesting because today is when I usually see him and I didn't see him today and I slept in. And so there is a, there is a balance there for me of like making sure that I'm doing these things because I'm committed to doing them and I yes. want to do them, I'm choosing to do them. Yes. And the same thing with diet, like changing the narrative, changing the story. And then having, to me, you can invest money, you can invest time, you can invest energy. For me, I'm choosing to invest some money into these things because I know that they're part of my health and they're valuable and they're important to me. And if I don't invest the money, it becomes a harder thing for me to do. And I get less excited and I I don't want to we- spend energy thinking about how I'm going to exercise or spend energy. I just want to show up and have someone support me.
1: That is so the, the non said narrative there, the implication of what you're saying is, is that a, we're going to be able to, you have to know yourself and what's going to work for you. And B we all, we can't follow someone else's formula. We have to know what our own formulas and here's where the state of the world is most people don't have a secure knowledge of what their formula is for healthy eating and exercise because we've been poisoned with the dogma and so the challenge and it's actually it can be joyful the challenge is to say okay has this dogmatic approach worked and most people say not only hasn't worked it hasn't worked for decades and if it hasn't worked why would we keep doing something again and again? How about are you, you know are you interested in trying something new that actually research shows is going to be more likely to lead more people to successfully sustain their eating and exercise goals? Um, the we haven't gotten here um, but in this the, some again, this is less about, the motivation and more about the way or the self-regulation component. But um, research on both eating and exercise suggests that when we come to something celebratory or we have something unexpected or we give ourselves grace and change what we're gonna do or bring flexible restraint to a celebratory meal, People who do that actually that better predicts behavior than trying to stick to the plan. Mm-hmm. It, so that's counterintuitive. People think if you aim to stick for the plan, to stick to the plan, then you're going to be more likely to stick to it. But guess what? That is not what the research shows.
0: It's it's interesting. I had a mentor used to tell me, "Do you have the story, or does the story have you?" And that's I think. Right that applies. Do you have food or, or does the food have you? That's right. And do you have anxiety or does the anxiety have you? Do you have fear or does the fear have you? Do you have sadness or does sadness have you? You can keep going down and plug and play a lot of different words and emotions and behavior into that. And at the end of the day, like if we have it, then we're doing it with more intention and with more thought. And I love what you're saying, because I think the science and research is one thing, but we also need to think of ourselves as an N of one. And if we think right. of ourselves as an N of one. And at least, you know, if you've got 30 years or 40 years or 50 years of experience on this earth and yes. 60 years of experience, go back and spend some time and think about what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Absolutely. Um, and what are healthy behavioral decisions that you make beyond diet and exercise that you notice about yourself. I have one client who is probably going to listen to this Mm -hmm. and um, like praise in the morning journals, exercises, but the food decisions are the one thing that that gets in in the way so we're yeah. talking about all right well what allows you to make great decisions over here and what gets in the way of you making decisions when it comes to yeah. food and one of the big parts is environment like what is he surrounding himself with yes. in his house and yes. and what's the story that he's telling himself about what lunch needs to be or dinner needs to yes. be and, and sort of changing the narrative, but also changing the environment. And the environment piece is a big thing for me. There's two pieces that you talk a lot about that when I went to grad school for sports psychology, we talked a lot about your mind and your self-talk, which are yes. really valuable things. Yes. But what we didn't always focus on were the emotions and how yes. emotions impact our behavior and then our environment. And I think those are two big pieces of the puzzle that you address that that I'm grateful for thank, as well. Yeah,
1: well, thank you. I So a couple things. One, I would be curious your client, if, if you and he were willing for him to take the trap quiz on my website and see if any of those um, decision disruptors are actually getting in the way. Because, um, you know, we started the conversation by talking about Ethan Cross's work and, you know, the things we the narratives in our head and the things we say to ourselves. And, you know, what I have found is that these four things, um, temptation, rebellion, accommodation, perfection are not un- a, a less than top of mind narrative that distract us from the decision. Cause instead of saying, what do I feel like right now? We're like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, or I can only, I can't have, I can't, it's gotta look like this. It's the perfection. So um, I would say that the other thing I want to say is look, people think that someone like me or someone like you who is promoting healthy lifestyles or anyone really, who's a nutritionist or, Exercise physical. People assume that we don't have struggles, you know, or that if we decided to keep—I I mean, I don't keep potato chips in the house because I would never stop eating them. So that's something I know about myself. Now, when I go to a party, there's potato chips. I have them, but again, it's about understanding. It gets back to the art of 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 living and knowing what we need to do to kind of have this, I don't know what I'm going to make up a percent. Like, what do we want to do? What we need to do 75 or 80% of the time to live our best lives, to feel our best, to be healthy. And then the 20% that's special occasion, you know?
0: It's interesting for me, and we're going to get to the trap because I'm going to go over my scores from taking your quiz. We're going to talk about joy too, but I want to be honest about it. Like, I this is a challenge for me. Like I I I don't let anyone that knows me would agree. This isn't like a secret. I'm not yes. spilling any yeah. you know, beans here. Like I I these are these are big challenges. When I've worked with coaches in the past, I usually bring it up because um what's interesting for me is I actually do a pretty, I'm gonna say a pretty good job of exercising and dieting. And when I say good, like for me, I'm I'm very satisfied with how I eat and how I exercise during the week. So, Five out of seven days. But the weekends, I think because I'm maybe more rebellious, uh, I've got this side of me is like, okay, now I'm going to eat this and I'm going to not exercise. And um, I take off those two days. And what I found is it's actually not a good formula for me. If we're going back to like being an N of one, I think there are some people that can, you know, have their cheat days on the weekends and right. and let go. For me, like my health and what it does to me on the weekends, like I am not sure that it works. So well, I need to I need to figure that out and well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's
1: interesting. You're calling them cheat days. And I know yeah. that that right, but let me tell you how I, what <laughs> so, you know, I have a really, you know, again, I don't even hate to use the word healthy because it's just part of who I am. I, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Zingerman's. Have you heard oh, of yeah, Zingerman's? Yeah, All right. Yeah. So, you know, they have this awesome eight grain bread. They have this awesome raisin pecan bread. For um, people that aren't
0: aware it's in Ann Arbor, legendary institutional deli. And you can order their you food, can order food online. online. Yeah. People it's, sent it to us as home. If we got married, people sent us gifts. Or yeah. Gifts, pecans and stuff.
1: But But, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know if I've learned to like when I was in my twenties, I'm still talking about Ann Arbor. So for those of you, Michigan Wolverines or people who know Ann Arbor, Angelo's has like the best French toast in the whole universe. And in my twenties, I would eat this huge portion of French toast and feel fine. I would never do that now because for some reason that type of food makes me feel bad right now it doesn't mean that if I go to Angelo's that I won't have a piece or two but I won't getting back to so if I have something during the week like I have bread slathered with peanut butter and I love it it's not something that I'm doing because I'm should but then on Saturdays you know what I do I have a sacred breakfast and you know what my sacred breakfast is it's a scone it's a cherry scone with wonderful coffee that I have either with my family, that's our, I don't like, it's, it's special. I don't think of it as cheating or going off. And sometimes I eat the whole scone and I'm overly full. And sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm full. I'm going to put it. So, you know, I'll give you, I'll
0: give you the example. Cause this past weekend was a perfect example.
1: Okay. My wife
0: was away. And so I had the kids. And so we had all kinds of fun. We had donuts for dinner, Yeah, you know, ice cream. I don't even need ice cream and chocolate, by the way. I'm yeah. weird like that. But um, And then I, I got them bread, challah, to make them yeah. French toast. And so um, I made them French toast Saturday and Sunday. And one of the things I've realized since I had kids is like they eat a bunch of junk and I have a hard time not eating their chicken fingers or their French That's fries right. uh, or the French toast or the pancakes. And those are things that I wouldn't normally order or eat prior to having kids. Yeah. So we have a five and six year old. And I think that's been one of the biggest challenges um, is that my wife will look at me after we eat our healthy dinner. Yeah. And then I might go and grab a chicken finger and yeah. eat a chicken finger or some French fries. Um, and honestly, like I don't really want those. And it might even be a bad chicken finger, which aren't that yeah. many bad chicken fingers, by the way. Yeah. But yeah. like I I find that my rebellious side or maybe it's temptation too, comes out with my kids and their food. And I'm very good at ordering and I've figured out how to order healthy for me and things that, cause after I eat the French toast too, I don't feel good afterwards, but it tastes good going in. And there's well, a story in my head that I, I enjoy it as well.
1: Right. And the story. And so it's the, it's the being aware as you're eating too, um, so you know what I would say to you and you know it sounds like this is an issue that you're grappling with, with 100% right
0: now. this is real we're, right now right? this weekend it's Tuesday we're recording this it is now yeah.
1: So I mean what I would do if, if if you were my client with this issue, what I would do is I would get a little notebook and I would ask if you were open to experimenting with um, af, you know at these times not, when you eat every time, but at the times that are challenging, do experiments where you do eat the chicken finger. And I, I have a rating scale one through five, where one is like, I'm hungry and five is like feeling so full. You're uncomfortable and, and doing the chicken finger thing. And then rating, how do I feel now? How do I feel two hours later? You know, both physically and about myself and about my choice. And then Do an experiment the next day or the next week and go back to your book and do it again and say, this time I am, I'm going to do an experiment. This isn't, I can't have the chicken finger. I'm choosing not to have it because I want to see how I feel and then rate how you feel. And, you know, you do that a few times and, and that's what I have found is so helpful in bringing mindfulness. Now I can tell you, and I talk about this in the book, um, both. Um, referencing Judson Brewer's work, as well as Emily Fox wonderful work in this area, which is when our brain becomes aware of why something, how something is influencing us, when awareness shows our brain because we're noticing it, oh, this actually doesn't feel good. And when we do that enough times, it recalculates the value so that it doesn't just take in, oh, it, it tastes so good going down all that French toast. the the value of eating French toast then becomes a fuller, it takes more of it into account. And then your brain's like, you know what? This actually doesn't feel so good. I may, this part of it feels good. So you are actually getting your brain smarter. And Judson Brewer in his book, Unwinding Anxiety, talks about this brilliantly. So um, that's how it works.
0: I love how you talk about feeling because- I also read Dan Pink's book, The Power of Regrets, and yes. I know Dan, and I think there's real value in reflecting on, wait, how did I actually feel? Did I actually make a decision that I'm proud of that yes. I want to continue. And we do this in our relationships, right? Did I enjoy having dinner with that couple or not yes. is going to dictate whether or not we want to go back out with that That's couple right. or not. And so I, I think we make decisions based on how we feel all the time. That's right. But for me, at least I haven't done a great job connecting how the food really does make me feel. Yes. Um, and I'm working on it and, and hopefully we'll get better and we'll have another conversation a year from now and I'll continue to improve on it. I want to go to your, your trap concept. So um, Michelle has a quiz online that you can take. It's free. Uh, I went online and took it and the trap basically stands for the T is temptation. The R is rebellion. The A is accommodation and the P is perfection. So here were my scores. Um, Moderate on temptation, moderate on rebellion, moderate on accommodation and low on perfection.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. And I think perfection for me I, uh, I'm very comfortable doing things and dealing with, you know, failure and it doesn't really scare me. I'm not someone who has to read everything in my email before I send it out and make sure it's spelled correctly. Uh, actually my attention to detail sometimes is not good enough and I need a little bit more perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that comes back in my, in my professional life. But I think about temptation and rebellion there for sure that, um, you know, I, I think I can get into temptation. And then I can also get into rebellion. I actually have friends who I think have more addictive personalities or more predisposed to addiction. I actually don't think I do. I don't have a lot of addiction in the family. I'm fortunate. I know plenty of others that do. And so I think for me there, I've always been a little bit rebellious. I've always not liked people telling me what to do and and so I think that one probably rears its head more than most, but do you have any thoughts on it? Having spent sure. an hour with me and, yes. and hearing my results?
1: Yes. Well, I think that you're, I think you're still a little bit tied up, which it takes, you know, we're talking about being socialized and believing things that are really, you know, physiological uh, deep, you know, grooves in our brain, right. That take time to, to develop new pathways and stuff. I do think, you're still a little bit caught up with the shoulds um, and the old dogma. And again, it's normal. Um, So I, and I, so it makes sense to me that you would score moderately in temptation rebellion. I think if you would have, from what you've said, if you would have taken the quiz a while ago, before you did some of your work, you probably would have scored really high on temptation rebellion is my guess Um, certainly
0: in college and early twenties and
1: well, before um, you had self-awareness about what was going on, because that's, you know, that's a big thing. Once you know, um, what's going on, it can't, it doesn't have as big of a pull on you.
0: You know, what's interesting about that. I remember coming back from college and seeing like some of the girls that I went to high school with and I was good friends with and they were around me and they're like, you've changed. And I didn't even know what they were talking about, but I had, I had, I learned honestly how to talk to girls. I learned how to be a little more thoughtful with my words rather than just say what's on the top of my mind all the time and not have a filter. And so I'd grown. And it's interesting though, we get labels put on us, especially when we're younger about who we are. And then we just accept those. And then we go, at least I went off to college and I changed a lot of my identity and I changed who I was and, and how I was operating and so that was definitely a change that I got feedback from. And then when I went to grad school and started studying psychology, oh, 100%, I started becoming a better listener. I started becoming more thoughtful. Uh, and the people that know me are like, wow, he has he's drastically changed. And so it's interesting that we, and then I had a kid, like that was drastic, getting married. Like there are big transformations in my life. My personality, I still have pieces that are the same, but there are all these changes that we've made. And yet when it comes to like, eating, I'm going to just focus on eating. There are parts that I still buy into that are the same as 20 year old Brian. And there's no reason for that. Like well, I, like well, I, there I don't is need a reason. To still, yeah. You there tell is, me what's the reason. Well, that I, the yeah. reason
1: is, is that we've been brainwashed about this stuff. I mean, that's why I'm using this word purposely because that's why it's so hard. We've been indoctrinated with, dogmas and shoulds that we, that human nature and research shows we want to rebel against. So unraveling those relationships and those beliefs takes time. But I, I am um, optimistic that after this conversation, you are going to have a greater awareness that's going to let you use Ethan Cross's um, technique, self-distance talk, and you will say to yourself, hey, oh, there's rebellion. I see you rebellion. Guess what? You're not going to have, you're not going to take away my autonomy. Cause the irony is, is that when you rebel, you're still being controlled when you think you're, you know, it's
0: funny. It's funny because I'm, I'm smiling. When I was a senior in college, I bet my buddies that I could get a six pack and uh, if I lost, they were going to have to pay me some exorbitant. If I want they were going to pay me some exorbitant amount of money, at least for college kids, like maybe $500. Yeah, yeah. And if I lost, I was gonna have to take them all to Chili's <laughs> and, and I took them all. I took a few of them to Chili's, but I remember like the first day I was in the gym and I got some pretty girl. I said, where do you work out? Can you bring me to the gym and I'll work out with you. And, uh, and so I had like this whole plan, and it faded away. And to your point, like, I think I've bought into some of those stories about myself throughout the years, and my relationship with exercise and my relationship with diet. And even my friends that have known me for a while, they think of me as the person that eats some unhealthy food. Yeah. I even think about my fantasy football team is called the loaded potato skins. And like as I'm even thinking about this out loud, like I've created a narrative about eating and what my relationship is with eating. And a lot of that is not healthy. And I've changed a lot of it over the years. I'm not the same as I was back then. And with exercise, I've changed a lot of it compared to what I was back then. But that's hard work. And I need to continue changing the narrative to what I want and what I want my relationship to be, which is, by the way, when there are loaded potato skins, which I haven't had in I don't know how long. For the Super Bowl, I want to have loaded yes, potato that's skins. Right. That's um, right. But for every other day, I actually don't even crave having them anymore. I used to get cheese fries from Outback Steakhouse or the world's greatest cheese fries. Now, I don't remember the last time I had cheese fries from Outback Steakhouse. So we sometimes forget all that's of the right. change and the growth that we've had. That's right. And we remind ourselves of the story of some of the negative decision making. And I say negative for me, um, it, that we that we produce. I want to end with joy because that word for me is in my mission. When I was in grad school, they had us create a mission statement for why we do what we do. And enjoying success has always been a piece for me and, and in turn, my clients, I want them to enjoy success. And I think success without joy isn't true success for me. So the word joy, why is that at the core of your work and at the core of the book that you put out?
1: Well, because people have not been successful. This book is really, The Joy Choice is really for people who have tried again and again and again to adopt intentional um, eating patterns and um, physically active lives and not been successful and felt like failures. And it's called The Joy Choice because it is it refers to what tends to get people to quote unquote fail. People always start With great intentions, with a you know, in a bubble of motivation. But as soon as that bubble bumps up against some part of our daily reality, it bursts and then people stop. So people haven't been taught that the the moment things go awry, which we tend to go, Oh no, I can't do my plan. Oh no, I have to eat this instead of that. Instead of it being that, and then a failure which gets people to stop it's actually an opportunity to choose. It's the joy choice, the perfect imperfect option that lets us do something instead of nothing. And guess what? When we do something instead of nothing, when our plan becomes unworkable, we are sustaining change. And when we begin to believe that, we succeed. And feeling successful is joyful. That's one reason that the joy choice helps us be successful. And when we feel successful, we've, that's a joyful feeling. The other reason that I call it the joy choice is because there's a researcher at Clark University who has a, this really cool integrative theory of joy. And I learned about it after the fact, but it really reflects what I talk about. And when we feel joy, when the moment in time, in, reflects who we are at our core, right? So, in a, in a given moment, like when I've been talking to you, I have felt such joy because these moments, I am actualizing who I am. Like I am being myself with you right now. I get to talk about what I'm interested in and the work I do, and you know that is who Michelle Seeker is. So I'm feeling very joyful right now. But when we can understand that a perfect and perfect option when we make a choice uh, related to our eating or exercise that isn't perfect, but it actually um, is in service of supporting our greater eating and exercise goals. We're not just supporting those greater goals that help us feel our best and be our best and contribute to the things that matter most. We are actually actualizing who we are at our core. So when we can shift what that imperfect choice means away from a failure or something that's not worth doing to actually something that keeps us sustaining and keeps us in, keeping us in sync with ourselves and the people and projects we care most about, holy cow, that is joy.
0: It's a beautiful place for us to stop. But before we close, I have to ask you one more question michigan people why are you all so kind you i don't know like there's like this something in the water of just a kindness that comes with michigan people and i live in washington dc we have plenty of people from michigan i have friends from michigan they're all kind what is it in the environment or in the water that exists in in michigan around kindness
1: you know i I don't know. I think it's a really interesting question. First, you know, I think that's a really lovely thing to notice. I want to say I'm from Flint, Michigan. And, you know, I grew up in a place that was very kind, but my husband's from Iowa. And I have to say, the people from Iowa nice are to really kind too. And <laughs> I think Canadians are kind. So I feel yeah. like there are certain environments that value that. And then you like you said, environment is very Pivotal in our development. And so when you're with people who teach you as a kid and as a neighbor and as a friend and community and as a colleague that kindness matters, I think in the it we internalize that. So that's is that down, is my hope. Is there
0: is there a downside to it? A downside to kindness?
1: I I don't think so. I mean, I think there's a difference if someone doesn't you need boundaries too. You know, I think you can be, I know plenty of people who are very kind, but also have boundaries, and when you step over them, they let you know. So it go, you know, that question really goes back to the art of living. You want to be kind, and my husband would call it the golden rule: you treat people how you want to be treated. But if someone steps on crosses a boundary, whether it's a work boundary or a friend boundary or a family boundary, it's important to be able to communicate in a mature and kind way what was crossed and why, and what you need to be different. And, you know, that's something we haven't been taught to do. I think that's, I'm not the expert on that, but I think you need to invite someone on the show who can speak to that because that's really important.
0: Well, boundaries for me, I think have been a game changer because you mentioned a hierarchy of our decision-making earlier. And I think that has to do with boundaries and, you know, what is most important to us. And if we have a hierarchy and recognizing, like I've had to do this with scheduling calls with people or having people on the podcast or what do I say yes to What do I say no to? And I've started to realize that, you know, when I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. And as I said earlier, I've got two small kids. I want to be able to say yes to playing with them. I want to be able to say yes to if I want to go play golf on a Friday afternoon, I want to be able to say yes to going to the beach for two weeks with my family. And so figuring out the boundaries uh, is really important. And then the last thing about kindness, I heard someone say this recently, uh, being nice is when someone's got something stuck in their teeth and you don't say anything being kind is when they have something stuck in their teeth and you say, Hey, you've got something stuck in your teeth. And so I think sometimes we can think that we're being kind, but we're actually not. And it it goes back to accommodating. And one of the things that you, you research and look at is, Hey, are you making decisions based on accommodation? And how does that play a role as well?
1: I want to just—I know we, we have to end, but I want to say one—I want to say one thing that ties kindness to this whole conversation. Um, and this is where I'm going to reveal something about myself. Um, when I don't get enough sleep, when I'm not taking care of myself, when I'm in this—you know—when I've been in this acute book launch phase where I've had so much to do that it's overwhelming at times, I'm not as kind or I'm not kind and I know that about myself and I think in general when we take better care of ourselves when we get enough sleep when we do the things that we know matter to us we we have the energy and the wherewithal to be kind and when we don't take care of ourselves we don't have the energy to be kind so I do think you need wherewithal and energy to to be kind and so it just ties back to what happens when we take care of ourselves, is that we have more energy for this important value.
0: It's a beautiful place to end. I know you have a newsletter and actually you talk about taking care of yourself and making sure you're filling your cup. If you want to pour into others, uh, you're on social media as well, but if people want to follow you and they want to buy the book, where can they do all that?
1: They can find that information on my website, which is my name, michelleseeger.com. I'm at michelleseeger on link on Twitter and, you know, I have a LinkedIn profile too.
0: So Michelle's last name is spelled S-E-G-A-R. Her first name has two L's. So M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. So Michelle Seeger at on Twitter and then the website, michelleseeger.com. LinkedIn, same place. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well, at Brian Levinson. I think we are connected, Michelle. And then Twitter's the other place I like to play, at Brian Levinson. And you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Michelle, thanks for coming on. Great to connect with you. I've got work to do. I'm excited to do it. I call it work. I think that maybe that's my sport background in me, um, but I'm excited about it. And uh, thanks for being my coach for the last hour. Hopefully you all got something out of this as well and appreciate you coming on the podcast.
1: It was such a pleasure, such a joy. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode jam.
1: We have a hierarchy of self-care, and then we have this thing that is our, each of ours, our foundational self-care behavior. And for me, it's sleep. For my husband, it's exercise. He will get full, he will skimp on his sleep so he can exercise because that, he feels terrible every day. If he doesn't exercise, I feel terrible if I don't get enough sleep. So sleep for me is paramount.